Church, you may be seated. How is everybody this morning? Awesome. Good. It is good to see you and be with you. I'm really happy and blessed to be able to teach while Pastor Daniel and Pastor Gretchen are on sabbatical. We want to just give them a quick shout shout out. Pastor Daniel, Pastor Gretchen, we love you. We hope that you're resting well. Amen, church. Well, I feel like we've started this year off really, really powerfully, church, um, really powerfully with some challenging, some timely teaching. Um, and I've been hearing from God like I haven't heard from God in about a year, really. You ever have those seasons where you're just like, God, I need you to speak louder. I'm doing the things that you've asked me to do. Would speak louder. Anybody ever had these seasons? And I feel like God's been speaking in a way that I haven't heard him for about a year and and i think that from thrive conference to pastor daniel's messages as we've started this year we've been learning a lot about we've been being called to bigger bolder expectant faith anybody heard that message coming from this pulpit and uh and i've been praying a lot over the last few weeks like god just give me give me eyes to see faith in a new way god would you would you restore my heart to have a bold faith. Humble me to have a deeper understanding that I and that we as a church, that our faith would increase. Anybody desire that? And every time I've prayed, God keeps d- directing me to a scripture that's been familiar in my life for a long time, Hebrews 11.1. 1. And, uh, and this scripture says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and it's the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So there's belief, and belief's important. Belief's powerful. Um, The acceptance of a concept or an idea, right? I believe in God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. I believe that He was born of the Virgin Mary. I believe that He suffered under Pontius Pilate. I believe that He was crucified, that He died, was buried, He descended into hell. And I believe that on the third day He rose again from the dead. Come on. Woo! Yeah. And is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty. And I believe from there He will judge the living and the dead. I believe it's important. Amen? Uh, but there's also faith, right? And faith, Paul says, is the assurance of things that we hope for. It's the conviction of things that have yet to be realized, completed sometimes, seen. So belief certainly can lead to faith, but belief can't do what faith does, which is save. And true faith, according to the Apostle Paul, requires some things. It requires assurance, and it re- requires conviction of things hoped for and of things not yet realized. And so assurance and conviction, they're born out of hope and they're born out of longing. Who in this room has longed for something? Anybody ever longed for something? Just ached for something? I'm not talking about just like a new pair of shoes or a new shirt. You know, I was saying, I hadn't preached for a while. I should get a shirt. That's not long. Like what, what has who's, anybody been moved to your knees in prayer, longing for something that you hope for that you've yet to have realized in your life. The longing happens when, when your uh, sister-in-law or your sister has a medical emergency um, or when the doctor finds a lump. The longing that happens when your marriage is broken. The longing that happens when your children are straying away from 
the Lord. You recognize I'm, I'm reading, I'm just saying the prayer requests y'all are sending us every week. Um, the longing that happens when a torment just won't stop tormenting. When a temptation won't stop tempting. Throughout the Thrive Conference and over the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about uh, allowing faith to be bigger than those times in our lives when, when faith has disappointed us. Uh, when, when our longings were not satisfied on this side of heaven. Assurance and conviction, they're born out of hope and longing. And so, you know, hope without longing is just want, right? It's just impersonal. It's uncertain. And longing without hope is just suffering. It's suffering that leads to misery and that leads to personality disorders are what doctors are telling us. And suffering that leads to lovelessness. I think we've got longing down as a culture. Unfortunately, I think we've got longing down as a church, as a Christian church, not just Elevation, but Big C Church. I think we've got longing down. So over the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about hope. I want to talk about hope. What is hope? One, one theologian describes hope like this, that whenever faith in God looks to the future, that's hope. Whenever faith in God looks to the future, that's hope. If you're longing for a good prognosis without hope in the God who is mighty to save, that's just suffering. Yeah, if you're longing for your broken marriage without hope in the God who's mighty to restore, that's just hopelessness. If you're longing for your children to return to the faith without hope in the God who chases after and rejoices over the one, that's just angst and irritability. We're good at angst and irritability and hopelessness and suffering. If you're longing for a torment to stop tormenting without hoping the God that laughs in the face of his mockers. That's what the Bible says. Mm, he laughs in the face. Ain't no skin off my back. It's just bitterness and slavery. What I'm convicted of that I've, I've, I've flirted with in my own life of faith, I think I've seen in leadership that the majority of you flirt with in your own lives of faith is that we're, um, we're, we're Christians redeemed by the grace of God and we're still holding on to some chains. Are you with me? Because sometimes those chains are how we see ourselves. Some, sometimes those chains are more comfortable than the hard work of stepping in to freedom and victory, to hope. Are you with me? To point number one this morning, as we get started, here's what I want to do. I want to just give us a foundation, a practical foundation of how to have hope so that we can grow in it. What I, here, here's what I think the simple truth of the, of the gospel is. Um, your, we are all working regularly to overcome our mistakes and our errors and our insecurities, right? A lot of, and culture and sin gives us loads and loads of ideas how to do this, but we're working and we're suffering and we're struggling to be free, maybe of mistakes that we've made, maybe of things that have been put on us and done to us. And the gospel says, turn to Jesus, turn to Jesus, live for me, just work smart, work smart. And so that's what I want us to do this morning. We're going to learn some practical ways to work smart and have freedom. We can let the other efforts fall aside. The first point I want to make about hope is that hope is not an emotion. Hope is not an emotion. This is what the scripture says, 1 Peter 1.13. Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put 
all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So Peter says, prepare your minds for action, exercise self-control. I think a lot of the times when we think about hope, we're talking about and thinking and referring to what is uncertain. Like, I really hope I get that job. Right, I, this past week, I really hope we get a snow day. Some of the parents, like, I really hope we don't get a snow day. <laughs> I hope they arrive safely. Are you with me? Uncertain hope. It, uncertain hope doesn't live. Uncertain hope, it desires. It occasionally leads to prayer, but uncertain hope never proves itself. Are you with me? It never proves itself. So Peter says, prepare your minds for action. Expect God to work. Expect God to be God. You're a child of the king. He says, to exercise self-control. Work in union with the God that you know is going to work. Three, put your hope in the gracious salvation that will come when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. It's tried, tested, true, proven. Hallelujah. Hope, Peter argues, it requires something of us, some skin in the game. You're already fighting. You're already suffering and struggling and working. Work smart. I believe Jesus teaches the same thing. In Luke 14, Jesus, we find Jesus, he's at a, at a Pharisee's house, he's teaching. He's making his way to Jerusalem. Um, why? So that he can bear the cross for you and me. And he's making his way to Jerusalem. And he's at, he stops at a Pharisee's house and he's eating and talking and teaching. And a large crowd starts to gather there, as often happens with Jesus. And this is what the, uh, this is what the scripture says. This is Luke 14, starting in verse 25. Now, great crowds accompanied him. He turned and he said to them, I just think it's funny. Like great crowds are coming to him, and then out of the blue, this is how Jesus turns and talks to them. Now, this is what we've learned in pastoral leadership not to do, or you won't come back. Right? Um, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So picture it like you come in and you're like, welcome! If you don't hate everybody except for God... And then you're like this. So Jesus is talking to this group of people. There's like highly trained religious leaders in this group. And there's people, I'm just going to speculate, people that are suffering, people that are longing. Because why else are you standing in a big crowd of people, facing the elements, following this, this Jesus wherever he goes, unless you're longing, looking for something more. Some of us has come in here this morning looking for something. Every single one of us are here because at one time in our lives, we were looking, longing for something. Amen? We've been in the situation that this crowd finds them in. And Jesus tells them, hey, if you're not willing to choose and follow and desire me above and before every other thing, your longings will not be met here. Now, I'd say, like, that's a bad business model. But man, you can trust God to be true. Man, you can trust God to be honest. Man, you can trust God to tell you what you really need to hear. Jesus isn't asking this crowd to have hateful hearts towards their mothers and fathers and children and brothers. Like, can you imagine? Like, well, I gave my life to Jesus this Sunday, and it um, turns out I hate my kids. <laughs> Do anybody, anybody want them? 
Like, you'd be like, oh, that's a weird church. So no, it's, it's, it's not about emotion. But Jesus is teaching these people differentiation. He, he wants them to be able to put them in their proper, proper place and Christ in his proper place. A lot of us have a hard time with that. Point number two, that hope requires a change in worldview. Um, so we can't do what we've always done, cling to the politics that we've always cling to, gotten our opinions and biases fulfilled in the places that we get our opinions and biases fulfilled and um, expect faith to change us and fill us with hope. Are you with me? That's the, that's the definition of insanity. Hope requires a change in worldview. Jesus is telling this crowd that to follow him, that they, they have to lay down everything that they hold dear and they have to lift him high above those things. Um, lift him high. And we're going to, we're going to really unpack this, I think, next week. But, a change in worldview. Lift him high above those things as the Lord, as the Savior, as the Deliverer. This is how the great theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it. This is beautiful. If you don't know Bonhoeffer, check this out. He says, the, the cross is laid on every Christian. The cross is laid on you, just as it was laid on him. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. I think it's easy to read this text and hear Jesus, you know, hate your father, mother, wife, etc., and be shaken. And I do think that Jesus is trying to rattle us. I think he's trying to rattle us out of a complacency that we might wake up and that we might actively actually lift high the cross of the God who's worthy of everything. If our worldview is hopeless and uncertain, right? Bitter, negative, broken, then our lives right now and our futures are going to be hopeless and uncertain, bitter, negative, and and broken. And so Jesus says, work smart, lift high the cross of Jesus above every other thing. In me, he promises, not in me, in him, that our hopes will be proven. He will prove them. Hope requires that Jesus becomes the lens through which we see life now. And a lot of us are still seeing it through CNN, Fox News, whatever, I mean, whatever our children come home from college obsessed with now, whatever is now the new social norm and acceptability. A lot of us can, but Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, must be the lens through which we see the world if we want to have hope. And I think we see hope diminishing as the church gets more woke and relevant. Luke 14, 27, Jesus, he continues. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And I love this because I don't think that Jesus is pretending that following the way of God, that 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 taking on a new worldview, I don't think he's pretending that it's easy, but I also don't think that he's calling us to being perfect overnight. He's just calling us to follow him. Are you with me? The burden is lifted. He will do the work of redemption. You just have to turn to repent, to follow. 
I love it because he's not pretending that it's easy. Now, he does promise that once we've done the work of repenting, of turning to him, that his yoke, his rules, his teaching is easy. Love God and love each other. Thank you, Jesus. He's not a liar. He does promise that once we've done the work of repenting, of turning to him, that his burden is light. Confess with your mouth, mouth, believe in your heart. He's not a liar. But getting there requires some work. Getting there requires bearing our own cross, he says. Bearing our own cross, identifying, sacrificing the things that keep us from him. Ooh, so that means we've got to get still. We've got to look at our lives. We've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. We've got to let him shine light where light needs to be shined so that we can lay our burdens down. Hallelujah. Come on, brothers and sisters. And he says it requires coming after Jesus. We have to come after him, seek him in our hearts, seek him in our lives, seek him in our homes, seek him in our educational systems, seek him, and we have to follow his example. Not only seek him, but attempt to live like him. Point number three, hope requires prioritized behavior. Prioritized behavior. We've been working um, with our kids through this a bit. Um, I'm not going to tell you which kids because I'd like it if when you looked at them, you just looked at them all, just like, just judging them. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just make them feel uncomfortable in church. Amen? That's how we're going to get the next generation. Um, (laughs) But here's why we've been working through this with our kids because as they grow um, in life... Their, their educational workload also grows. Their responsibilities as, as young men and women also grows. And a couple of them have had a hard time with this, um, really. And, and not because they're bad kids, not because they're not smart kids, but because growing is painful. Um, it's, it's true always. That's what we've been telling them. Like, well, you're not going to escape the reality of what you're, hap- you're experiencing right now. It's going to continue to be painful. So let's figure out how to do this well. And, uh, and so we've asked them, like, well, listen, we check in with you every day. Um, you say that you understand the work. Um, you're filling out your planner. Um, but still, we've got, like, missing assignments sometimes and low test scores. And so what are we missing? What's going on? And here's what a couple of our kids have, have said. Like, this isn't direct quote because I'm combining a few of them into one person, okay? But basically, it's, this is the sentiment. Um, while I'm at class, it's hard to think about the work that I'm doing, the work that I'm being given, because all I want to do is like socialize with my friends. Like I keep thinking about the play we had before the work began, the play that can happen after the the assignment's over. And then when I'm at home, I'm thinking about, I want to play with my brothers and sisters. And I, what if we have a game night? And I love it when we have game nights and I'm just right there anticipating all the joy and hungering for childhood. And So we've been having regular conversations about how they view the educational process Um, because some of them um, are wanting to just like, I'm just going to check off these boxes. And in fact, by instead of prioritizing the work, they're taking, it's taking more of their time because they're trying to check off boxes and get it out of their way instead of just being disciplined and getting the work done. And so they can move on. So we've been having these conversations about as they grow, their responsibilities are going to grow. And we know that that's overwhelming because we're frankly, um, at least I won't speak for Ashley, but I'm still extremely overwhelmed by it. And if we prioritize our responsibilities though, if we focus in or bear the cross, if you will, 
And, and if we give it our all, like go after Jesus, if you will, if we prioritize checking off these responsibilities, then we will accomplish them faster and we'll have more time than we ever thought we could have um, to just enjoy life. But most of the time we're, we're working hard instead of working smart. And Jesus wants us to have an easy yoke and a lighter burden. Priest theologian Richard Rohr says it like this. He says that the, the theological virtue of hope, it's the patient and trustful willingness to live without closure, without resolution, and to still be content, even happy, because our satisfaction is now at another level and our source is beyond ourselves. Now, that's convicting to me because I think that that means that to have a, a wor- a, our worldview change, to have a Christian worldview, to see everything through Jesus, it means like that we really have to completely change how we think um, or allow him to as we seek him. Um, remember, hope's not an, an emotion. So, you know, prioritizing their educational responsibilities, that's not going to give them closure and resolution um, the, it's not going to remove the desire they have to just keep being children and not grow in responsibility. Amen. But when they prioritize, when they do the work of disciplining their lives, they do find that contentment and happiness and satisfaction is higher than they ever thought it could be, than it ever had been before. And here's what sin does to us, unfortunately. Sin says that that discipline that has proven itself in your life, as soon as there's an opportunity, I'm going to make you forget that it proved itself, that it worked. Are you with me? The practice of daily prayer and studying scripture and Christian community. I'll make you forget that it works so that when you get busy, you skip church. When pastor goes on sabbatical, you skip church, right? The the enemy loves, sin loves to trick us that the things that are tried, true, proven won't work now because, well, we haven't faced this change, challenge, hiccup before. And so we have to prioritize. We have to bear the cross and lay down our doubts and lay down our refusals. And we have to prioritize. We have to come after Jesus, trusting that he's got the whole world in his hands, even me. That's the hardest one for me to believe. Like I'm believe, I can believe, you know, I was having a conversation with a friend. I said, I can believe this for Jeffrey Dahmer. Like without doubt, if Jeffrey Dahmer gave it, he's like, no, he couldn't. I said, yes, he could. Without doubt, if Jeffrey Dahmer repented, Jesus would take him into heaven and he, they'd throw a party like they did for the prodigal. But I have a hard time believing that even me, And so we have to prioritize, bear a cross. We have to come after him, make time with him and worship prayer and his word. Prioritize hope above emotion. Confess and turn back to him. Look to the future with God. Jesus says this is why. Luke 14, starting at 28, he says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Which of you, when you build a tower or a garage or a spare room or... Do you not count the cost, whether or not you have enough to complete it? And he gives another example a couple verses later in verse 31. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 
to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is still yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. I, I remember when I was 19, I was caught up in some, um, some rebellious living. We'll put it that way for, for church. And, uh, and my grandma passed away. And, uh, and I remember when she passed away, I've always had a pretty healthy grasp on, on death, um, a pretty healthy understanding on, on death to the point where I have a harder time with, um, with Christians that have a hard time with death. Because I, like, even before I really took faith serious, I knew like, well, like if God's real, then it's all, gonna, it's all right. Then death lost its sting. But when my grandma died, because I was closer to her than any other person, I remember just feeling this regret like I squandered away time drinking instead of visiting my grandma who I knew was sick with a terminal illness you know and I just remembered kind of having this wake-up call of I'm gonna treat the people in my life that that I love differently I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that again it gave her death gave me some wisdom on how I would approach losing again are you with me and uh and so then when my grandpa passed away i was able to rejoice because every time i had an opportunity to see the man and let the man know i loved him and appreciated him and enjoy him um i i used you know not in an unhealthy way but i i prioritized the relationship with him and so when he died i just i rejoiced now i miss him i still miss him a lot he was i mean the the best man I've ever experienced in my life. And I know we all say that, and I'm not saying, for, for me, it was a profoundly important relationship. But when he died, I had a peace that I loved him well. Are you with me? Yeah. Jesus wants us to prepare for a life of hope. And he says, when you, when you build a garage, you do this. You prepare. You make sure that at the end, you're not going to, have regret or humiliation. Um, he says, when you go to war or in a fight, you prepare. You don't want to have regret or humiliation. Um, so do that in your faith. Prepare your lives with hope, actively on purpose. You do it with everything that threatens you. And this is bigger. Point four, hope requires preparation. And in this specific passage of Scripture, I think that Jesus is saying that we prepare by lifting Him up above all things, letting His Word direct our worldview and letting His Word prioritize our behaviors and letting His Word prepare us in hope for anything that we might face. And, and what He's wanting to give us, I believe, is the same thing that the God uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has always wanted to give his people a life without chaos. This is who God has been from the beginning of creation. And this is what the Bible says it's in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The darkness was over the face of the deep. It was chaotic. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Listen, when you are in chaos, God is hovering there still. You're not, you have not been abandoned or forsaken there. But this is what God wants to do. It says, God said, let there be light. Let's expose the chaos for what it is. 
Brothers and sisters, Jesus promises that in this life, we're going to have some suffering and some sorrow and some disappointment and some struggle and some chaos. But he proves from the outset of creation that he is the God who will absolutely bring peace into our brokenness and emptiness and longing. He will shine light into the chaos. That even there we have hope. And so Jesus says, prepare, look to the future with God. Look to the future with the God who's put on hope or who's put on flesh, the God who's calmed the seas, the God who's raised the dead, who's healed the sick, the God who gives rest to the weary, the God who loves even you. Look to the future with God who's worthy of hope and prepare, put action to your faith. And so what does that look like? It means trusting him when it doesn't make sense to trust him. Has anybody ever had a hard time trusting the Lord? Ooh, I've been in a season for like three years where God's got this one thorn in my flesh where the devil just keeps saying, you can't trust him there. And I just, ah, sometimes I got to shake him off. Are you with me? Oh, Trust him when it doesn't make sense. Live according to his will, even when you don't want to. Ah, that's not always easy. Live according to his will. Believe that his life and his death and his resurrection, the promise of his return, it's for you and it's for your children. It's for your families and it's for your neighbors. It's even for your enemies that God is that good. Forgive. Forgive those who've wronged you. Put your faith to action forgive on purpose love god actively love others actively and proclaim to the doubt because the doubt's going to come proclaim to it you have lost your sting my god has conquered the grave hope requires preparation It requires that we are hopeful on purpose. We have to practice it. The way that we practice, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I'll get caught up in a bitterness and I will practice bitterness. Like, I'll be mad. Ashley's like, please let me talk to you. I'm like, touch me right now. Are you with me? Prepare for hope like you prepare for anger. Prepare for hope like you prepare for sadness. Prepare for hope. One last point, and then I'm going to close. Um, our hope, brothers and sisters, it's more important than our words. Our hope is a witness. Our hope is a witness. This is what Jesus says about the building project. He says, you plan, right? Because if you don't plan, otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and it's not able to finish... All those who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Um, A few verses later, I think he kind of rephrases it. He says, salt's good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's just thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you know what the world does not need more of? A bunch of hopeless Christians. The world doesn't need more 
hopeless Christians. I think that we've got, like we, we like using the word pandemic anymore, but I think we've got a pandemic of hopeless Christians, of, of Christians that are being mocked and for good reason. Now listen, as a leader, like I, I really have a great deal of sympathy and understanding when a leader falls because we are human and we do face temptation and we do live in a world that, where people love to hate leaders. And so it's, it's very threatening for a leader to go to somebody and say, I've found myself in this sin or I found myself struggling by this sin or even I found myself tempted we live in a world where we, we can almost guarantee that probably only like three or four of you in this room would give us any grace if we came to you with information like that. And so we don't. And then sometimes because we don't, we, the devil just gets us real good. So I've got sympathy and I have understanding, but the Bible says the world's not going to have sympathy and understanding. Like when you don't live in hope on purpose you make a mockery of the faith of Jesus Christ. When you fall, you don't just hurt yourself. You hurt the body of Christ, the gospel of redemption. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, your divorce should not direct your life. Your, uh, your loss, the death of a loved one, should not direct your life. Your political angst, for God's sake, should not direct your life. Your disappointment in religious leaders should not direct your life. Your struggles should not direct your life. Why? Because we follow Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, the God who has victory over all things. Somebody say amen. Come on. Now listen, that doesn't mean that sometimes these things don't need attended to. It doesn't mean that there's not times in our lives that we have pain that we have to attend to. But attending to pain and giving that pain power over Jesus Christ's victory is foolishness. In 130 AD, there was a man named Methodus who wrote a letter explaining and arguing the merits of Christian faith to another man, um, Diognetus. And this is found in the, a letter called the Epistle to Diognetus. And I remember, I don't know, I think I found this in like 2006 in seminary. And I like, you're probably just blessed that I don't put in every single sermon that I preach because I, I love it so much. But this is just a small paragraph of that letter that says this about Christians. That this is, this is who Christians are. And he's making an argument to this Diognetus. Like, listen, you're you're a man of influence and you should become a Christian because Christianity is better. And he says this, this is why they're better. They marry like all other men and they beget children, but they don't cast away their offspring. They have their meals in common, but not their wives. They find themselves in the flesh and yet they live not after the flesh. Their existence is on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws and they surpass their laws in their own lives. They love all men. They are reviled and they bless. They are insulted and they respect. Y'all, there's never been a time when followers of Christ were absent suffering and heartache and the influence of this world. Never been a time. 
And yet from the outset of our faith, followers of Jesus have had good reason, good reason to look to the future with God. Good reason to embrace the victory of Jesus Christ as our worldview. Good reason to prioritize our behaviors and bear the cross and go after him with all of our might. Good reason to prepare in faith and grow in our influence of him as the influence of the world begins to wane and diminish in our lives. From the outset of our faith, this has been their most profound witness to the world longing for something. Why not give them hope? If the band wants to come up, we'll all, I'll start to close. Y'all, the, what I'm aware of is that a lot of us are working, maybe even right now, um, to be freed, to be um, justified, to be understood, um, to be received, to be loved. A lot of us are, are working, we're putting effort in our lives right now to try to have some sort of satisfaction, some sort of peace, some sort of hope. And this is the invitation of Christ. Quit working for that and work to be loved and known by me. Just turn. Work smart. I'll satisfy everything that your heart has ever desired. Just turn to me and be free. I, I want to invite you this morning, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, His yoke is easy and His burden is light. He doesn't say, come to me, all you who are perfect and have your lives together. He says, come to me if you're weary. Come to me if you're burdened. Put faith in me and I will work transformation in you. His yoke is easy. So I want to invite you this morning, receive him as your God and then live as though he is your God if that's your heart if that's your desire I just want to invite you to pray with me we'll just all pray out loud together so no one's alone and saying almighty God I am a sinner I need your redemption I receive that the cross is for me forgive me of my sins I will live for you I trust that you will transform me from the inside out. My life is yours. Amen. You want to stand and we'll sing together.